get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a gloomy Wednesday on 101 ESPN. It's Carriker and Smallman at 7 o'clock. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. I'm Randy Carriker, and good morning to Michelle Smallman. How are you doing? Good morning, Randy Carriker, and while it is gloomy here in St. Louis, we've got a glimmer of sunshine because we've got some positive news about the hockey and our St. Louis Blues. we got to love that, and we'll talk to Darren Pang of FS Midwest about that later in the show. Then in the 9 o'clock hour, one of the new Cardinal Hall of Famers, John Tudor, will join us at the top of that hour, and Emily Kaplan of ESPN is also going to be with us in the 9 o'clock hour. Plus, at 8.30, we have the fight, and you can text in 65780 if you like to participate in the fight, just use that Air Comfort Service text line 65780. And as we talk about the return of hockey and baseball, we always invite you to use the mic drop feature with the 101 ESPN app. Just download that free app and you can use that Rhino Shield mic drop feature to tell us what you're thinking about the possibility of hockey and baseball returning. And hockey did have the announcement yesterday from Commissioner Gary Bettman that uh, California, your season is over. <laughs> yeah. right? No L.A., no Anaheim, no San Jose in a 24-team NHL postseason tournament. Let me assure you that the reason we are doing this is because our fans are telling us in overwhelming numbers that they want us to complete the season, if at all possible. And our players and our teams are clear that they want to play and bring the season to its rightful conclusion. Now, Gary Bettman and the league had thought about completing a regular season, but that is not going to take place. It's only going to be postseason from here on in. For purposes of nomenclature, record-keeping, and NHL awards, the 2019-20 regular season has been deemed to be completed. We will resume play and conduct the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs in two hub cities that will be identified and announced at a later date. And so the regular season ends with the Blues as the number one team, the number one seed in the West. But the seeding is going to be determined in a round-robin tournament once they start this. And we don't know when, Michelle, but the Blues and Colorado and Edmonton and Dallas will play each other once each. And the team that comes out of that with the best record is going to be the number one seed. How do you feel about that, Randy? Because the Blues did clinch the Central Division title, and I don't know how I feel about the round-robin aspect of this with the seeding. I feel good about it because I think the Blues are the best of those teams, but I do think the Blues should have been rewarded for playing 68, 69, 70 games and having the best record. I, I think that there should be more meaning to that regular season, which was basically three-fourths of the season, than three games, but that's not the way they decided to do it. I guess they want to have some level of excitement to the top four seeds playing, but I do think that there's a level of unfairness there. I do too, and 
I want to make this very clear. I want hockey back, whatever way, shape, or form they're going to give it to us. I'm going. I'm going to take it. However, this is kind of a precarious situation because even though we are very confident in our St. Louis Blues and and their skill set. This is uncharted waters. Mm-hmm. Everybody has been off for the same amount of time. So the things that we're looking at with the Blues as positives and saying, you know, we're, we're getting a rested Vladimir Tarasenko. The guys have had time to rest. When they come back, they have cohesion. We know that a team can come in and, and get hot that necessarily didn't have that great of a regular season. And I just worry that this is something that we're going to look back on and say we wish that the seeding would have gone a little differently. But we would be worried because that's the nature of the Stanley Cup playoffs. If they've, if there had never been a pandemic in round one, whoever the Blues played, I was looking at the standings every day saying, I don't really want to play them. What if, he, <laughs> what if he's hot? What if he, what Arizona could have been a number eight seed. What if Darcy Kemper all of a sudden gets healthy and Arizona's hot? And they've got uh, they made the trades to get Kessel and uh, and a former MVP. Arizona could be a threat. Everybody can be a threat. What I fall back on, Michelle, is something that I said throughout the second half of the season. The Blues just became good at winning. Mm-hmm. They don't have an MVP. Jordan Binnington, well, we love him, and he's great statistically, was not having a great year, but the Blues are just good at winning, and I don't think that's something that'll go away. It seems like every obstacle during the regular season that was faced in front of them, they overcame it, and they overcame it with an exclamation point. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we've talked about all these different games that we've been reliving here on 101 ESPN during the Blues championship run to their first Stanley Cup championship, and they just have a champion's mentality. I think it was Darren Pang who said it with us when we were talking about the hand pass game. They're able to turn the page and they do have that that, you know, pinpoint mentality where they just focus on the game ahead and the task ahead. And so you're right. Well, I can take a step back and look at the seating and say, oh, I'm worried about a team getting hot. Whoever's on the other side of the ice does not want to play the St. Louis Blues either. Right. Now, there are going to be hub cities. We don't know what the hub cities are going to be. By the way, the list of possible hub cities, if I'm a player, that list, at least one of the cities, is pretty alarming. You've got Columbus, Dallas, Edmonton, Vegas, L.A., Minneapolis, Pittsburgh, Toronto, Vancouver, and then Chicago is thrown in there. I was bummed to not see St. Louis be on the list because I think that it would have been a great hub city, great accommodations. You have, obviously, the facilities to execute it. And I I would love to know why St. Louis was excluded and why Chicago was included. Because while we are paying attention to the national news, we certainly pay more attention to our regional news. And in addition to St. Louis, a lot of people have been paying attention to what's going on in Chicago. And I'm really surprised that, given the state of Chicago and the state of Illinois, that they would be in consideration for this. I'm surprised by that too. And if I'm the NHL, when you look at the way that the virus has been handled in Canada, Edmonton has done a really good job of tamping down on the number of cases. And I would think that that would be a place. And right off the bat, Ohio and Minnesota have done a really good job. Minnesota, obviously, with the Mayo Clinic and their ability to test. Those are two places that I would think that the NHL will really look closely at. And then Dallas is just open. Texas opened up several weeks ago. And so if I'm the NHL, I think I'm I'm looking at Dallas, but that's not going to be one of my favorites. Do you have a favorite that you've circled? Well, I think Vegas is a fait accompli. Yeah, I just assume Vegas yeah. is in. So what would the other one be? Edmonton. Edmonton, even though there are potential border issues or the 14-day quarantine, you think that that's likely where they'll go? 
I, I that seems to be what the experts are talking about is Edmonton. I would think that you're also you've also got a really good chance to have Toronto as part of this and. What it comes down to is, does the NHL have enough juice with governmental authorities, both in Canada and the U.S., to open things up for their players? I would think that in Canada, there would be some sort of... uh they would figure out a way to make to make hockey happen, to make the mm-hmm. NHL happen. Now, one of the things that Bettman talked about yesterday is testing and how at the forefront of the thinking is the well-being of the players and the staff of the NHL teams. Comprehensive system of testing will be in place in each hub city. We are currently in phase one of our pause, during which clubs have been instructed to self-isolate as much as possible and have done so. Wherever they go, they and that might be an issue with with us is testing. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, but they have, they're going to have testing wherever they go, and they're also going to have to have testing where the public is not. And I know the NHL, like MLB and the NBA, they're going to have their own testing setup, but they don't want to interfere with public testing either. Yeah, I, I'm sure that that's something that they've spent a lot of time talking about. And really, when when you lay out all the different things that you're concerned about, testing is right at the top because that's the last thing that you would want is to not have that part of the equation be adequate enough or for something to go wrong. That's really the most important thing is to get the testing right. So we're talking about a date where they would have training camp in July. They would essentially play the first part of the playoffs in August and then the second part of the playoffs in September. That's a long ways down the road. What about the possibilities, Gary Bettman, and he was asked this on NBC, of playing the Stanley Cup finals in the home cities? Although we are anxious to get back on the ice, We will not do anything until we are assured by medical professionals and the relevant government authorities that it is safe and prudent to do so. And so, yeah, he's going to be safe and he wants to be prudent. And he did say that there is a possibility of playing those games, the Stanley Cup finals and maybe even the conference finals in the home cities. Which is one of the reasons that I wondered why or if that's something that they considered when leaving St. Louis off the list is maybe we we will eventually end up there. If they're looking at the teams that they think are in consideration to go far, like, hey, we're going to end up in St. Louis at some point. Leave St. Louis and Boston off. Yeah, exactly. Now, Major League Baseball is a different situation. While there was no talk at all about money with the National Hockey League, MLB is hung up on money. And yesterday, owners presented a new proposal to the players that calls for massive pay cuts for the highest paid players with the prorated salaries that they're already getting. So they're getting a salary for half a season, the highest paid players would get 20 cents on the dollar of what they would ordinarily own, uh, be owed for that half season. So a guy like Mike Trout, who originally came in with a salary of $37,666,000, he would make $5,748,000 in 2020 with the way that this sliding scale is set up. Players that make more than $20 million would be paid at 20% of their prorated salary. Players making 10 to $20 million would get 30%, 5 to $10 million, 40%. Uh, players that are making a million to $5 million would get half of their scheduled income for the year and then the players that are making the minimum 563,000 to a million would be paid at 72 and a half percent on the dollar 
I'm not surprised that players bristled at this proposal because if we're listening to everything that the insiders and experts have been telling us, they want their full salary. So for the owners to come to the table and say, oh, you're going to get 20 cents on the dollar. We knew that this was not going to fly. We knew that the players were not going to agree to this. And while I do understand that it's a negotiation, I see I see both sides. I see where the players are coming from. I see where ownership is coming from. This is a very precarious situation and both sides want what they feel like they can do. They they want the players want their money, the owners want baseball to happen so that they can generate revenue as well. However, the more that this happens, I don't understand or I, I don't see a way that the players are ever going to come out on top in the court of public opinion because everything that seems to be leaking out there to the media seems to be from from ownership and the players and the players association seem to have to respond to the things that are being leaked out by ownership. Mm -hmm. And while I understand that the players want the money that they feel like they've earned, that they feel like they're due. When you look at what is going on in America right now, in every corporate environment and every corporate workplace, employees are being asked to take pay cuts. They're being furloughed. They're being asked to forego bonuses because companies are not generating the revenue that they once had. So while I do understand the player's perspective, I think it's going to be very difficult to get the average baseball fan to look at the player side of things and say, oh, wow, I feel really badly for them. Yeah, I think if you look at the raw raw numbers... I agree that it's going to be hard. It'd be hard for me to say, yeah, I really feel bad for you that you're only going to make $5.7 million this year. However, if I'm Yadier Molina or Paul Goldschmidt or Mike Trout or any player making more than $20 million, I'm going to say, wait, you told me to take a prorated salary. I said, fine, I'm, I'm going to take half of it. I'm only playing half the games. You also told me that you're going to lose 40% of your income because that's what your ticket revenue is. I'm going to buy that, okay? So you're going to lose 40%. Why should I lose 80%? If, if, if I'm Mike Trout, why should I lose 80% of my income when you're only losing 40% of yours? Mm -hmm. This is a good question. And I think that's where the highest paid players need to draw their line. And what they need to do is come up with a way. And the, the owner said, hey... We want a 50-50 revenue split, and I think that that was fair. I think that was reasonable on the part of the owners. The problem is there's not enough time to convince the players of what ownership is actually making. That's a real issue that they have. So what the players need to do is come to an agreement among themselves where they say, okay, lowest paid players, highest paid players, everybody takes that 40% pay cut just like the owners are. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if the players can agree to that. If if you're a player that's making five hundred thousand and you might play three years in the majors, do you want to give up seventy five percent of your income for a season, which is a seventy percent, which is basically what you'd be doing? Or you could not play and give it all up. That's the <laughs> that's the real issue that the players have because ownership they're going to lose a lot of money. Yes, there will be some owners that aren't as cash rich as the DeWitt family or uh, the, the Steinbrenners. But for the most part, ownership, if they have five or six houses, they aren't going to have any problem make, making those payments. Tom Brady's paying the mortgage on Derek Jeter's house in St. Jetersburg, right? Mm -hmm. They can rent it out. But if you're a player and you've got a couple of houses, 
where are you going for your income? Because you haven't made the billion like the owners have. And when we have these conversations, we talk about the Mike Trouts of the baseball world. There is far more players who are not in the Mike Trout category that are probably sweating this and wanting to come back and make a deal done more than the star players. But the star players hold the equity. They they hold the the highest voice in the room. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this shakes out. But the more that we hear about the the discord between these two parties, I'm not confident that a deal is going to get done. I'm not either. And it's 60% of the players, by the way, that make less than a million dollars. 60%? Yeah. Wow. So that, that would be affected and get 72%, uh, 72.5% of their salary. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And this is Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. So baseball's been through this before. Why can't they figure things out? That's next as we roll on here on 101. The rancor continues between Major League Baseball owners and players. In the midst of a pandemic, they're arguing about how to split up revenue and trying to determine who is going to walk away with the most money. And they're making a very public deal of it, Michelle. That's the most troubling thing. If they're arguing about revenue and it's behind the scenes and nobody is talking about it with the media, that's one thing. But the fact that we all know about it makes it a little more troubling. It's kind of a crass situation with Major League Baseball players and owners. I keep calling it gross because if they were arguing or having uh, a debate about safety guidelines, ways that they're being protected, I think all of us could sit sit there and say, okay, we understand this. We understand your concerns about going in, back into this environment and, and not under not feeling comfortable enough to play because we're all dealing with that. But for the average American sports fan who is desperate for sports to come back and who's most likely dealing with a lot of uncertainties and new realities for themselves, to watch billionaires and millionaires fight over money and to be looking at a sport that might not have a season because of money, that's not going to sit well with a lot of people. Here's ESPN's Jeff Passan. I believe this is going to be the most consequential week in Major League Baseball in the last quarter century, dating back to the 1994 strike. You know, we had 2002 where there was a question if there was going to be a strike, but ultimately there was not. Now the Major League Baseball season hangs in the balance, and it's going to come down to MLB and the Players Association figuring out how to split the revenue that they generate in 2020. And if they don't generate revenue from baseball in 2020, if there is no season, it's not just the players that are not going to be paid. But when you look at Derek Jeter's ownership of the Marlins, Derek Jeter is not an exceptionally wealthy man. That's a franchise that very easily could file for bankruptcy. The A's would be in the same situation. The Cincinnati Reds, Bob Castellini, they don't make a lot of money, and especially with the contracts that they've signed, that's a franchise that you could see winding up in bankruptcy, Arizona, Kansas City. There's a lot of franchises that would be right on the edge if they don't have a year of baseball. And unfortunately for the players, they're kind of behind the... And if they're thinking about something like that, they're kind of behind an eight ball. Because what happens is, if these are... If they're creditors and there's uh, bankruptcy filed by the Royals, for example... 
then the players get pennies on the dollar. They're they're just like well, they're not like Battlehawks players because they didn't have multi year contracts in the XFL, but they've only got the pennies on the dollar coming their way if they signed a multi year contract. If indeed teams would file for bankruptcy. That's one thing I wonder is if both sides are looking at the long term ripple effects, the long term ramifications of the viability of baseball really if this season doesn't happen for so many things. You're talking about the financials. Yeah, how's that going to impact contracts and free agency, et cetera, moving forward if there's no 2020 season? It's going to impact it in a negative way. I wonder, too, about a sport like baseball that has kind of a, a national popularity crisis when you look at how successful it is in certain regions, like here in St. Louis. Sunday Night Baseball does not generate the excitement that it used to. The, the marquee games of the week, the national games of the week aren't the, it's not appointment television the way that it used to be. And there's always conversations happening within Major League Baseball. How do we fix the game? Do we speed up the pitch count? What can we do to get fans more engaged? Do you really think that if you don't have a 2020 season in the midst of a pandemic, that any of that other stuff is ever going to matter? You're going to lose not only the casual fans, but a lot of hardcore baseball fans are going to be like, you know what? I'm all in on hockey. I'm all in on the NBA. The NFL is obviously going to figure out a way to get this done. And I just think that that baseball needs to really take a, look, a hard look in the mirror and understand what is at stake here. And when Jeff Passon talks about this being such a consequential week, going back to 1994, the NFL was big in 1994, but it wasn't what it is now. And people look forward to mid-July when training camps open. Heck, people tune in for the NFL schedule reveal, right? Now... As opposed to 1994, you have MLS. You're going to have MLS in 32 cities, ultimately, mm-hmm. within the next few years. And Major League Baseball is having to compete with that. The millennials, the younger people, are gravitating towards soccer, aren't they, rather than baseball. Baseball is an older demographic. That's something that they have to look at. And then they have to look at there's a limited number, there's a finite amount of sponsorship dollars that are out there. If you're going to head go head-to-head in the summer... With MLS, and you still have golf out there, and they're going to make their money from the older set, and and you're going to have NASCAR, and they're still going to make their money from the southeastern quadrant of the country, the competition is going to be great. And if you miss a year and don't play for a, a season and a half, basically, or a year and a half, 18 months, you're putting yourself in a real precarious position if you're baseball. You are, and it's... I, I would love to get inside that room or inside that Zoom because we know that no one's in the same space with the owners and ask them what their intent was by releasing this information. I think I, I'm reading the tea leaves and I think it's because they know it's going to make the players look bad. They're trying to paint them into a corner so that they can get something done. But I think that they, the owners, also have lost touch with reality and they don't understand that by leaking this information out to the media that it makes the entire sport look bad. It's making them look bad. And while they want the players to feel pressure, they want the players to agree to something so that we can figure something out and have a season, I don't think that that the Players Association and the owners really considered what it would look like to have these messy negotiations be made public. What did you think of this particular offer? If... Look at it from both sides. I think the offer was stupid on both sides. I, I, agree. I think the owners presenting it, and I think the players. If I'm a player, I say this is stupid. If I was a player, I would be. I would be as furious as they are with this offer. But you know, I I have a kind of a cynical side to me, and I wondered if the if the owners didn't come to the table with the fifty fifty revenue shut 
revenue split first, knowing that that was the best offer, knowing the players weren't going to agree to it, and then figuring that they were going to settle somewhere more favorable to ownership. Here again is Jeff Passon. I see a first offer that went too far. And I'm not sure what the calculus was behind this offer. Listen, first offers are always going to be a little bit outlandish. That's what negotiating is about. And I think we have to understand that. And it's why today I'm not sitting here saying there's not going to be a Major League Baseball season. The big question, Scott, is how the Players Association is going to respond to this now. Are they just going to sit back and say... You know what, this doesn't even warrant us coming back to you with a proposal. Are they going to use this and say, now that we have all of our players working together, now that we have uh, the force of them behind us, we're going to go and ask for what we want. And we're going to go and try and put the pressure on Major League Baseball, knowing that the league ultimately, like the players, wants to play baseball games. That's the play. I I go back to what we talked about in the last segment. If I'm players now, I come back with my prorated salary. We're only playing half a season. And Passon also talked about the fact that players might want to play more. That's probably a non-starter. But come back and ask for 60% of the revenues for that half of the season. And if you're the owners, you realize that the clock is ticking on this one and that... This back and forth is not going to continue that much longer. At some point, a decision is going yeah. to have to be made. So if if the players come back with that proposal, if, I think that that does put pressure then on the owners to say, okay, we understand that they're upset. Well, how much more can we counter here? We're going, we're going to have, it's going to hurt on both sides. It's going to hurt yeah. on both sides. Both sides are going to have to come up with a deal that neither likes. Exactly. That's when you come up with a good deal. And when he talks about this week, we thought last week was going to be a deadline. We thought that the, uh, Greg Amsinger told us in our first week on this show that uh, the 15th was a target date. And then the 22nd becomes a target date. Now you're getting to a point where if you want to start tr- spring training in June at all, June 10th, June 15th, you pretty much do have to do it by Friday or Saturday to get everything arranged and then get a season started by the 4th of July. And if you don't get the season started by the 4th of July, if you have to wait until two weeks later, if you're looking at July 18th, you're looking at maybe a 70-game schedule. Why even bother? I would still take 70 games. I would, too. And I think (laughs) the players would, too. But the owners are saying, okay, when do we reach a point where it's just not worth it to play a season? Yeah, and if and again, both parties need to understand that the clock is ticking and that the NHL is taking a step forward, the NBA is taking a step forward from all, all signs say that they're talking about Orlando, they're they're trying to figure something out and they need to realize, hey, we've already missed so much of the season. If we don't get this done soon, if we don't get back into their spring training 2.0 soon, we're going to lose the season, whether we whether we choose it or not. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. The Blues and the NHL announcing that they're going to come back at some point. Now that we have this new playoff format set up, how are you feeling about the Blues' chances to win back-to-back Stanley Cups? We'd love to hear from you with the Air Air Comfort Service text line 65780. You can also leave us a mic drop with the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. What do you think the Blues are going to do, and why do you think they're going to do it? That's next on 101 ESPN. They did it! It's over! The game is over! The series is over! The wait is over! And the St. Louis Blues are the Stanley Cup champions for the first time in franchise history! 
Dad, of course, the great Chris Kerber, and he will be behind the bench tonight here on 101 ESPN at 6 o'clock, and he and Darren Pang will get more into detail in the NHL's plans, and the NHL plans to start their playoffs. They're not fixing dates because of the schedule, and their return to play, according to Gary Bettman, is going to be determined by developing circumstances and the needs of the players. But here's the way it's going to work out. The qualifying round and seeding round robin will be held at the two hub cities to be identified and begin at a date to be determined. And the way it's going to work is the top four seeds will play a round robin and they'll play each of the other three teams. And while that's going on, the other 16 teams are going to be playing in a qualifying round to get into that arena where they play against the top four teams. And Michelle, right now, the Blues would play... Uh, that round robin against Colorado, Edmonton, and Dallas. I feel really good about the Blues' ability to come out of that grouping with the best record. I know that Nathan McKinnon is going to be healthy. I know that everybody's going to be back to full strength. But I believe, and I think that the last full season of hockey, the end of 2018-19, the beginning of 2019-20, plus the playoffs, have borne out that the Blues are the best team in the West. They are, but they are also coming off months of of hanging out at their houses, not being able to skate, not being able to access the facilities, not being able to work out probably in the ways that they wanted to. So all those things that you said, yes, I agree with, but that was when they had momentum. That was when they had had, you know, essentially almost a full season under their belts. I just don't know how long it's going to take for the Blues to get back to the stage that we last saw them in. And that's the issue. We don't know what players have had access to a rink. There might be players that, especially in Canada, that have had access to a rink and Blues players have not. So the way the rest of the West is going to work, the best of five qualifying round series going to be Edmonton and Chicago. And I I like Edmonton in that series, but arrested Chicago is a threat. Mm -hmm. The Predators against the Coyotes. And again, the Predators are an older team, especially with an older goalie, but they've had a couple of months off. Vancouver and Minnesota. And I might like to finish in the seating where I get one of those teams. And then Calgary against Winnipeg with the California teams being out of the mix here. I, I, I totally get where you're coming from. And I think it is kind of a, a crapshoot because we don't know because of the great unknown. But if I'm going to take the team over the last hundred games against all the other teams, I have to take the Blues. I feel great about the Blues' chances to come in here with their winning experience, with their ability to play a lot of games in a short, condensed amount of time. They'll be rested and healthy. I don't see a better team than the Blues in the West. I really don't. I don't either. But I also look at the fact that yesterday the Blues clinch the central division title and that if it does take them a while to get their sea legs back to get to shake the rust mm-hmm. off that a, a team that performed the best in in the regular season could somehow end up as a four seed i just think that they should be rewarded for what they've done prior to hockey resuming in some way yeah but if they don't have home ice I don't know that that makes a big difference. In fact, like I said, I, I think it might be better to finish with the number three seed. If, and we don't know whether or not they're going to have a bracket situation. But my ideal situation for the Blues would be to play that bracket where you get the uh, Vancouver-Minnesota winner. And, and Vancouver played really well, and Minnesota came on, and they, they did really well down the stretch. But the Blues' winning experience, I think, is a big factor. And the fact that you don't have to travel to Vancouver... 
makes me think that the Blues will be fine. So right here on the 27th of May, I'm going to tell you that whenever this thing starts up again, it's going to end with the Blues being in the Stanley Cup Finals. I'll take that, Randy. I love that. I also, as much as I think the Blues should be rewarded, and I don't really love the round-robin aspect of this, the other side of the coin to me is they are going to have to you know, have a baptism by fire. Let's just jump into the deep end. Don't you want, if if you are going to be rusty, I would like you to play the toughest teams to get acclimated. I, you know, I think that that might actually benefit them to face really, really tough competition. Especially when there's no threat of being eliminated in that first round. The fact that the other teams are facing that threat of being eliminated is a source of concern. Yeah. If you were the number five seed and there's a chance that you could get knocked out, but the fact that you're knocking the rust off in essentially games where you're you're battling for the opportunity to play somebody else. Text 65780, I still don't believe the Blues won it all. The Blues are St. Louis, and that showed in their championship parade. Hashtag LGB. So the fact that they, they won and became good at winning... Uh, I think it's the biggest factor here. Let's go to Brock with a mic drop on 101 ESPN. I'm a little bit concerned for the Blues going into this playoff-style round-robin tournament because their style of play is a style of play that can be grueling over the course of a whole season because of the physicality that the Blues play with. I'm just a little concerned that some hot-shot, flashy speed team is going to come in and get hot for a couple games, and then we're on the outside looking in. Well, you definitely have a couple of those in your round robin when you're going against Edmonton specifically. They're the fastest team in the league. But Colorado, is they had a chance to win the division over the Blues. They're really, really good, and they have the fastest and arguably the best player in the league in McKinnon. That threat is always there, though, and the Blues were able to handle those teams last year, although they didn't. They didn't face a team like that with that sort of speed. But the Blues system is one that allows it to just pound those teams into submission. Just got to keep the puck in forecheck. Yeah. We, we talk about the Blues needing to get their sea legs back. Imagine these other teams coming back and they have to play a physical team like the Blues. That that Having the Blues go against them and wear them down early. Because your bounce back is not going to be the same as it was. That, that um, you know... What's the word I'm looking for? Resiliency. The resiliency that you build up over the season is not going to be the same. I mean, all of us are, these are professional athletes. They are at a different level athletically than all of us. But think about us after quarantine, after hanging out and casually working out or not working oh, out man. to the level that we're working out. You know, while they are going to have this this sort of training camp period and guys are going to be able to get back on the ice soon, imagine kind of getting yourself back to normal and then you're playing the Blues who are just going to pound you and hammer you the entire time. That can't be a great thing. I went for a bike ride last night when I got home. I thought I was going to die. Did you? Yeah. I'm glad you pulled out, Randy. I'm glad, <laughs> glad you survived. I'm the same way. I went on a run on Sunday and you know, that St. Louis humidity comes fast and it comes furious and uh, I ran 2.15 miles and did not know if I was going to make it to the car. It was bad. Wow. And you are a regular six, seven. Well, if you aren't aware of this, Michelle can do like a half mile or a half marathon without training. So to only get 2.15 in and be worn out, it's that's what the pandemic does, has done to us. A lot of banana bread and Netflix, Randy. Oh, I love banana bread. Who doesn't? I've, there's a good reason for having bananas turn like get all black spotty in your house. Because banana bread's delicious. Do you like what do you like in your banana bread? I like um, chocolate chips and walnuts. That's it. Perfect. Yep. Done. 
we, we have to make some of that. Let's get, <laughs> let's get one more mic drop. This is Courtney on 101 ESPN. I was really confident that the Blues were going to repeat at the beginning of the season. But now with this pandemic and this two, three-month layoff, and then on top of that, you have teams and that shouldn't be in the playoffs in the normal season. They're in, giving them a fresh new light. And I guarantee one of those teams, because they have nothing to lose, is going to knock off the Blues. See? They're going to knock off the Blues. By the way, uh, because of points percentage, I was incorrect. So you've got the Blues, Colorado, Vegas, and Dallas. And then Edmonton will play Chicago. Edmonton is the last team out. So it's Edmonton and Chicago. Thanks for a texture to our mic drop or our uh, Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. So Vegas is the third team. And a couple of other notes from the text line. The scariest team in the tournament is Colorado. With this season's MVP healthy and Kale McCarr now healthy, Colorado's youth and skill set makes them the team to beat. I think the lack of experience, especially for their goalie in the playoffs, is going. and I know Grubauer played for Washington when they won the Cup, but he wasn't there at crunch time. And... Jordan Bennington was an unusual situation. I think the Blues can play with and beat Colorado. And one other point that we should note, this from the 618, Randy, we want home ice advantage. Chief is great at matchups and home ice gets last change. That's a great point to have. So you get the number one seed having that last change. Wherever you're playing is going to work as an advantage for Bruby. That's a great point. I wonder, too, about the length of the series. You know, I wanted to go seven games yeah. because when you look at the, what happened with the Blues last season, those series went down to the wire. And you know, it's kind. Of, it, I don't know. To have it go five doesn't doesn't make me feel as confident. Well, the Blues broke San Jose in Game Five. It, it's a different animal. So you definitely want to be playing in seven game series if you are the Blues. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Next up on 101 ESPN, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We've got Take It or Leave It coming your way on Carriker and Smallman. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We appreciate your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for Tioli. And with your questions for us, here's Colin. All right, you guys, take it or leave it. Or let's get the setup in first here before we go to take it or leave it. <laughs> A wife in Australia has been getting slammed on Facebook for packing lunch for her husband every day who works a manual labor job. Commentators are telling her, or commenters are telling her to stop treating her husband like a child. Take it or leave it. There's nothing wrong with making lunch for your significant other. 100% take it. Come on. This That's is not a problem. This is one of those things from the internet that makes me so angry. What is it about your life that has triggered you so much that a wife doing something kind for her husband is upsetting to you? Every relationship is different. Someone doing something nice for someone they love should not be perceived as a negative. I don't know about you, Randy, but food is my love language. When when I want to do something nice for someone, I want to bake them a cake. I want to have them over for dinner. You know, I, I look at my parents who've been married 35 years, and that's the way that they express their love for each other. My mom loves to cook for my dad, and that in no way is a balance of power or a negative to her because that's the way she expresses that she wants to nurture and care for her husband. That's insane. And as a man, 
if I were in the situation where my wife was going to work and she wanted to take her lunch to work, I would have no problem preparing that lunch so that right. she could take it. I, I see no problem with it at all. What's the... What could the issue possibly be with a marriage being a partnership and doing things that are nice for your partner? I don't know. I When I saw this, because we got it last night, I was like, people are really upset about this for real. But then I thought we are coming off a of quarantine. We've got a lot of time on our hands and we haven't had sports to be angry about lately. So I don't know. So good for her and... and the shame on social media. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure there's things that the yeah. husband does for the wife, but that wasn't part of the conversation. Right, right. You know, I'm sure he's very... And isn't that enough that if she was to say, hey, I have the time and you're out there doing this very tough physical job every day. I, I like doing this. I'm going to make this for you. And even if he doesn't do something equal in return, but is really appreciative of her and tells her how much he loves her and appreciates the lunch every day, isn't, isn't that enough? Yeah. I don't get it. I just, I don't understand why this would trigger anyone. So, uh, since we're now a month in, we're in our fourth weekend, and I've had an omelet every morning, and I haven't made it. Jones made me an omelet every single morning. She gets up at five to make me an omelet. And I is, think that's so sweet. Yeah, so I, I do too. And I thank her every morning for it, and I have no problem with it that she would do that for me. And then, as you talked about on Friday, Memorial Day weekend, you're in charge of the menu. You've got the grill going. You're making a, a skillet cookie, a pasta salad. So, yeah. yeah, there's balance there. Absolutely. According to Facebook, you're just a big baby, Randy. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, I can take that. I don't mind being a big baby. A big baby with a great <laughs> wife and a great omelet every day. Yeah, so <laughs> he's right. winning. Take that. Not going to leave that. That's for right. sure. Take it or leave this. The, N the NHL made a mistake by not including St. Louis as a host city option. I'm going to leave that. They have more information about what they're looking for than we do. And while I think St. Louis would have been great, centrally located, great town, obviously, the home of the Stanley Cup champs, there are a couple <laughs> of things that go into it. Number one, the city itself, where the games would be played, does have a relatively high uh, per capita rate of, of COVID-19 positive tests. It's like 578 per 100,000. So that's part of it. And I think the other thing is, like Gary Bettman said, there is a chance that at the end of all of this, that the games would be played at the home rink. And they probably uh, wouldn't want the Blues to spend the entire playoff at home because they would think that that would be a, a distinct advantage for them. That's exactly where I was going to, Randy. When they say, hey, there's a, there's a chance that there's going to be other cities involved in this as we get towards the Stanley Cup final. I think the, the NHL is saying, you know, we're going to put our money on St. Louis. So we know we're going to go to St. Louis at some point. So, yeah, I think the people would be upset if St. Louis was uh, where everything was taking place. And it's the home. of. I wonder if that's even something that's in consideration that, hey, this is a great team that's going to be a threat. It's the home of the champions. I could see teams being upset if the, the Blues were to have that home ice advantage the entire time. The only team among the possible cities that you would say has a real chance to win the Cup would be Pittsburgh. Chicago's probably not going to. Columbus probably isn't. Dallas probably isn't. Edmonton, Vegas, L.A. I guess Vegas has a chance. L.A., Minneapolis, Toronto, and Vancouver. So you're looking at, at Vegas and Pittsburgh as the two potential hub cities that could wind up being in the finals, but you certainly aren't looking at them as favorites. I think in Boston's kind of prohibitive in the in the east and in the west you've got st louis and colorado as uh, as your two probably uh washington and philly maybe in the in the east 
Mark Cuban has proposed a return to play plan for the NBA that has the top 10 teams in each conference advancing to the playoffs. His plan also includes the bottom six teams in the league vying for two playoff spots in their own mini play-in tournament. Take it or leave it, 20 playoff teams in the NBA is enough. No need to include the bottom six teams in this plan. Yeah, I'll take that. Because those bottom six teams have no chance to win the mm-hmm. NBA championship. Actually, when you get to 20, I was gonna say, you've got you a pretty significant group that doesn't have a chance. What, you think you might have, on the outside, a half dozen that have a chance to win it? So they're just throwing everybody else into so that, well, they would in a plan like this so that somebody can make some money. Initially, I wanted to leave it because I'm at the stage of the game where I'm saying the more games, the better, the more teams, the better. But I'm going to take it as as well because, yeah, I mean, half of half of the 20 teams in the conversation don't have a chance to win. So why add another six teams and then water down, you know, the return to NBA product that much more? Last night's Tuesday night classic on ESPN was the Cubs breaking the curse of the Billy Goat, beating the Indians in Game 7 of the 2016 World Series. Take it or leave it, it's less fun having the Cubs as champions and not the lovable losers we've come so accustomed to them being. (laughs) Totally got to take that. Being superior to the Cubs for a century was a lot of fun. For 108 years, Mm -hmm. we were able to joke about them and... To say, hey, you know, maybe next century. But we can't do that anymore because they won. Yeah. It was a lot of fun when they were lovable losers. We talked about this off the air yesterday, Randy. I'm taking this 100%. The Cubs' quest to break the curse was the best and most entertaining thing going in sports. Because they would get close. Mm -hmm. It it would break their hearts. Yes, it helped that there are arch nemesis, that there are rivals. So we certainly basked in their misfortune. But... After the Cubs finally won, you thought, all right. I mean, the Blues still, we still had some sort of a rooting interest with teams with uh, an air quotes curse because the Blues hadn't, um, you know, won their Stanley Cup championship as of that point. But to have that storyline in baseball, to have that will the Cubs with all of these young players ever get it done was amazing for the sport. It was entertainment. After they won, it's kind of like, eh, all right. Yeah, and I'm sure you know people that were hardcore Cubs fans well before Theo Epstein got there. I I know several, but I'm not talking about that group. I'm talking about the other group that became fans in 2015 Mm -hmm. that think that they invented baseball. Oh, yeah. They are, because the Cubs won that World Series, somewhat insufferable. Oh, there's a lot of people buying merch that couldn't name five people on the team. Right. Yeah, but for for long diehard fans, I'm I'm happy for them, and uh, it looks the way things are going. Did, did you see the report yesterday that they they might be sellers mm-hmm. when all this happens? Uh, might be another 108. That would be fun. Yeah, well, for we, the people that are around then. Yeah, we restart the clock. <laughs> we will. Thanks, Colin. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Our fresh take coming up. Should baseball players just accept the best deal they can get? That's next on 101 ESPN. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.